Hey, thanks for joining us today at Divine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and you can give by clicking the link below. But for now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Let's sing your love so great. Your love so great. Jesus in all things. I've seen a glimpse of your heart. A billion years. Still I'll be singing. Oh, I cannot praise you enough. Yeah, I cannot praise you enough. Let's sing this together. You are the Lord. You are the Lord Almighty, outshining all the stars in glory. Your love is like the wildest ocean, it's all nothing else compares. Creation calls all to the Savior. We are alive in your place, in earth and sky, no one is higher. Sing our God, our God of wonders you're
Oh, hey, you 
Well, how are you, church? Good. It really is good to be with you today. In fact, I would say I'm fired up that I get to be with you as we jump back into our unshakable message series. And I think the reason I'm like really fired up, I'm kind of amped up this morning is because I am convinced that regardless of where you are on the spiritual spectrum, today's message is for you. And some of you might go, how could you possibly know that today's message is for me? Well, because of the way we designed the series. You see, we designed the series with you in mind, regardless of where you are on your faith journey or where you are on the spiritual spectrum. So for instance, if today is your first time ever being in church, or maybe this is your first time back in church after a long time of not being in church, then this message is for you. And if you were born in the church and have like a 37-year streak of perfect church attendance, then this, then this message is for you as well. If, if for you, faith comes really easy, like you have like a, just a, a heart for faith where you can, you can place your hope in things not yet seen, then this message is for you. And if for you, you have more of a, a head faith where, where every aspect, every element of faith needs to be like closely examined through a, like a lens of logic, then this is for you as well. And, and if you're somewhere in between, then what we're gonna talk about today is for you too. And that's because we've actually designed this entire unshakable message series to address two big things. And the first thing we want to address is some questions that keep people from fully connecting to God. And do you know who has questions about God? People who have never been in church and people who have always been in church. And the second thing that we're, we're hoping to address in this message series is how to help people articulate their faith more clearly, to be able to share with people why they believe what they believe. And you know who could use a little bit of help with that? People who have been following Jesus for decades and people who only use the name of Jesus when they stub their toe or step on a Lego, <laughs> right? Like all of us could use some help with that. And so I'm excited about this, this morning's message series and this series in general. Now, last week, we kicked off this series with a powerful message from Pastor David in which he made it like abundantly clear that the resurrection is real, that Jesus really is who he says he is, and he really did what he said he was going to do. And today, we're going to pick up there, and we're going to talk about how we can know with like a strong confidence that there is a creator, in fact, we're gonna look at scientific evidence to help you understand that God created everything. Now, I know I just used the word science during a sermon, which means that some of y'all got a little bit uncomfortable because for you, you were raised to believe that there are certain things that you cannot mix together. And on the list of things that you can't mix together is faith and science. And I get that because I don't like it when things that are supposed to be kept far apart get jumbled together. I don't like it one bit. In fact, I'll never forget one of my earliest Thanksgivings with my wife's family. We were newlyweds. And so we were at my wife's grandmother's house for Thanksgiving dinner. And I was seated near my brother-in-law's girlfriend. And they've actually since like gone their separate ways, but I will never 
ever forget her because as we were sitting around the Thanksgiving table, we were kind of doing the thing where you pass the bowl. And so I was putting turkey on my plate and the cranberries on my plate and the sweet potato casserole, which is the best thing about Thanksgiving. And so I was putting all that on my plate and passing it around. And she looks up at me and she says, you know, I really wish I had some of my favorite drink. And in my mind, I thought she meant something to spice up this family gathering, something to make it maybe a little more tolerable for her. So I said, well, what's your favorite drink? And she said, cokey milk. And that face you just made is the face I made. (laughs) I looked at her and at first I thought, maybe I misheard her. Uh, And I said, cookie milk? Because, you know, some milk with some cookies in it, I, I could get on board for that. Cookie milk sounds all right. So I was like, cookie milk. And she said, no, cokey milk. And then she looked at me as if it was the strangest thing in the world that I had never heard of cokey milk. And so I said, you know, I've never heard of cokey milk. And she said, really? She jumps up from the table. She goes into my, my grandmother's kitchen or my wife's grandmother's kitchen. She gets out a very tall glass. She fills it two thirds of the way full of Coke. And then she goes to the top of the glass with milk. Now, When she does all this, in my mind, I'm going, she's messing with me. She is messing with me. And then she goes, I love it, and downs the whole thing. I almost didn't make it through Thanksgiving that year. Like, like nothing was appetizing after watching this woman chug cokey milk. And so I understand if you're sitting there going, okay, pastor, if you're trying to... If you're trying to mix science and faith, it's like you're handing me a big glass of cokey milk. Okay, listen, I am not giving out any cokey milk this morning. I want to be real clear about that. And the reason I can say that with confidence is because science and faith are not things that are meant to be kept separate. They're not. They're actually things that complement one another. And here's how I know that. Because science inevitably is in the search of truth. And truth, all truth, is God's truth. And so the more that we discover, ultimately, the more we're actually learning about God. That's what's happening with faith and science. They're not like Coke and milk. They're more like chocolate and peanut butter, which can we all agree is the best combination. At least that's what I told myself when I was stealing Easter candy from my kid's basket, right? Like I just couldn't help myself. It's the perfect compliment. And I would, argue, I would argue that I'm not alone in thinking that faith and science aren't meant to be kept at an arm's length. I think there's actually scientists who would agree with that. In fact, there's one specific that I want to introduce you to this morning. His name is Dean Kenyon. We've got a picture of Dean. That actually is the best picture I could find. Sorry, Dean. I tried. And, and Dean is a retired professor of biology. He, he spent his entire adult life studying science. And what's fascinating is that in his early years, he was actually a very outspoken atheist. And at one point in his career, he was America's like go-to scientific atheist. Like if you wanted support for why you should be an atheist, you needed to know who Dean Kenyon was because he was making convincing arguments to people about how there could not be a creator until about halfway through his career when he started looking at all of the scientific discoveries that he had come up with. He looked at all the things that he had seen come to pass and he realized that it actually made more sense for him to trust in a creator based on the scientific research that he had devoted his 
life to. In fact, when he reached that conclusion, this is what he wrote. He said, I believe that a scientifically sound creationist view of origins is not only possible, but preferred over the evolutionary one. Man, that's, that's a bold statement coming from a scientist who grew up as an atheist. And today, what I wanna do is I wanna look at three pieces of evidence that helped him and has helped others have an unshakable faith that there really is a creator. And so the first piece of evidence that we're gonna look at together are the planets. And so we're gonna talk about planets this morning. And I'm talking about planets in the universe. And so we're gonna talk about some cosmology, which is very different from cosmetology. Cosmology is the study of the origins of the universe. Cosmetology is the study of beauty products, okay? So very, very different. But cosmology is really looking at how the universe came to be. And there's a lot of fascinating research around this. Did you know that you know, uh, about 50 to 100 years ago, most cosmologists would have agreed, they, they would have all kind of operated under this assumption that the universe is infinity years old as in it has always been. There was not a beginning to the universe. This was the prevailing belief amongst cosmologists until recently when cosmologists have almost all come to the conclusion that there is a beginning to the universe. And part of the reason they got there was because people from other fields began speaking into the question of whether or not there is a creator of the universe. And specifically, one mathematician by the name of David Hilberg said, a series of past events can't go back forever. And the idea behind that is, if you just keep looking backwards, eventually you're going to reach a point where things had to begin. It had to have a point of origin. Another piece of evidence that has changed the mind of a lot of cosmologists is the fact that our universe is actually expanding, which means that the galaxies, and and by the way, there's about a hundred billion galaxies in our universe. That's a lot. There's a hundred billion galaxies are all moving away from each other. And so when you think about that, it makes sense that at some point, they had to have a point of origin where they began moving away from each other from. How else could you have 100 billion galaxies all moving away from each other? And so these cosmologists have kind of reached the conclusion that there must have been a beginning. Now, if you think about that, and if you reach a point where there's a beginning, you have to recognize that there must have been a cause for that beginning, right? Like if there's a beginning point, there had to be a cause that put that beginning into motion. And that's what one cosmologist by the name of William Craig deduced. He, he recognized that, okay, okay if, if there's a beginning and there's a point of origin, then, then something had to have happened that led to this creation of the cosmos. And so he's actually listed out some fascinating characteristics of what he believes could be the cause of the universe. And so I, I just want you to listen to his descriptors of what the cause of the universe's beginning would have to be, right? This is what he says. First, the, the cause would have to be uncaused. As in, if you're going to cause something to happen, you could not be later like caused by that, right? So the cause had to exist before what has come to be. 
So it had to be uncaused. The second thing is that it had to be immaterial or spirit, as in the building blocks of the cause could not have been created after the cause, correct? Like whatever caused the universe could not have been made up of the elements of the universe. It would have had to been outside of those very same elements. The third is it would have to be eternal because you can't be the creator of something if you were created after something, right? So if you created something, you had to exist beforehand. The fourth thing for us is that it would have to be of the highest intelligence. And we're gonna see that in our next piece of evidence. The fifth thing is that it would have to have a personal will, as in it would have to have a desire to create. It would have to be a creative cause. And the sixth and final thing is that there would be one cause or one creator. Now, I want to remind you, this is William Craig, a cosmologist, a person who studies the origins of the universe. This is his belief on what the description of the cause of the universe would be. Can we put those back up there on the screen for a second? If you look at that list, you know what it looks like to me? A description of God Almighty, who is uncaused, immaterial or spirit, eternal, intelligent, in fact, of the highest intelligence and the highest power. He has a personal creative will and he is the one and only creator. This cosmologist is laying out a clear picture of who God is. See, his research led him to the conclusion that whatever began the universe sounds an awful awful lot like our God. And I wish William Craig was here this morning that I could share with him that he's exactly right. He's just missing one thing. That that evidence doesn't sound an awful, like, awful lot like our God. That is our God that he is describing and that he has found from science. Now, I recognize that for some of you, you might go, okay, well, is that, is that really the only evidence is a bunch of cosmology? No, well, let's, let's try something else maybe. Let's look at our second piece of evidence, which is physics. Physics is our second piece of evidence. And some of you who have bad memories from physics class in high school are starting to cringe, right? Yeah, physics, physics is fascinating. For those of you who maybe aren't there yet or it's been so long since you took it, you don't quite remember what physics is. Physics is essentially the study of the properties of energy and matter. That's what physics is. And physics is really interesting because it actually kind of... Did, depicts or breaks down the fine-tuned elements of the universe. Or perhaps put another way, all the properties and laws of physics conspire together to create life. All of it. Every single component of physics works in harmony, in unison, to create life. Or, Or maybe look at it a different way. If any one piece of the universe of millions of billions of aspects of the universe were different, if just one of them was different, life wouldn't be possible. Physics points to the idea that there is a God who created all of this. And let me give you some more concrete um, examples. Think about the law of gravity. How many of you like the law of gravity? If you play basketball and can't jump high, you do not like the law of gravity, right? But the law of gravity is a pretty big deal. It's a pretty important part of life. To to gain a grasp of it, you can kind of imagine it as like a ruler going all the way across the universe. Like if you could take just a long ruler, super long ruler and stretch it all the way across the universe, right? And imagine that as gravity, okay? 
And just to give you some context, like you'd have to have a really long ruler because to stretch all the way across the universe, the universe is believed to be at about 15 billion light years. That's really big. Like for context, um, between the earth and the sun is approximately point zero 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 one five light years. The entire universe is 15 billion. Earth to sun, point zero 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 one five light years, all the way across the universe, 15 billion. It's a really long way. So imagine a line all the way across those 15 billion light years across the universe. Say that's the law of gravity. If you were to move gravity by one inch to the left or one inch to the right, life would be impossible. A line all the way across 15 billion light years moved one inch, one way or the other, and life's not possible. Or think about this, the universe is expanding. We already talked about that. Well, in the beginning, right, when, when the universe began expanding, if the rate of expansion had been different, just marginally, like just slightly different, like as in less than one in 100,000 million. So like if the timing had been off by one in 100,000 million, the earth would be a fireball, uninhabitable by any life whatsoever. And yet here we sit. Isn't that pretty remarkable? Or think about this, think about the stars. There's a lot of stars, right? And I'm not talking about Hollywood stars. Like there's a lot of stars in the sky. In fact, we are in one of those hundred, hundred of billions of galaxies, right? Well, here's what's interesting. Within our little Milky Way galaxy where the earth happens to sit, there's about 2 billion stars. That's a lot, right? And the only reason they can exist is because the, the dynamics in the universe allow them to. In fact, the odds of it being perfect conditions to create a star are approximately one in 1,000 billion billion. Like, it didn't just happen. Like, if anything had been just slightly different, we wouldn't have stars. We would have fire everywhere. And some of you might be going, okay, all right, well, so we're looking at the big picture up in the stars. Can you like bring it down maybe to my level? All right, let's try this. When you looked at the laws that hold atoms together, like the nuclear force that holds an atom together, like the building blocks of life, the very smallest element in the world, an atom, like if you look at those, if you were to adjust the nuclear force of an atom by one in 10,000 billion, billion, billion. So like if you adjusted the nuclear force of an atom by just the smallest of margins, life would be impossible. Life could not happen if atoms were not the exact specifications that they are right now with the right amount of nuclear force on them. Uh, but perhaps the most convincing or compelling piece of evidence that I can give you from physics is the law of thermodynamics. Woo! How many of you were pretty pumped that you got up and came here to hear about thermodynamics, right? Well, the second, yeah, I got a woo. I didn't know my mom was here. That was awesome. Okay, cool. Um, so the law of thermodynamics, the second law specifically, tells us that you cannot create, you cannot create order out of chaos, right? Like chaos on its own does not all of a sudden become ordered. That's just not the way things work. Or for instance, let's just say hypothetically, I took some paper 
I took some ink. Uh, I took some glue and some pleather, plastic leather, right? And I just blew it up. Who here thinks I would get a Bible? Right? Well, I mean, I took all the elements that were needed there and I blew them up. Nobody, nobody seems to think that on their own it would become a Bible? No. No, nobody would think that, would they? That if you took all the elements of something and blew it up, that there would be life that would come from that. I mean, think, of, think about this building. If I took a big pile of bricks and mortar and metal and just, just blew it up, who here thinks we'd get a building? Yeah, just get a nice building for us to come and worship in? Nope, nope, nobody thinks that. It's because the universe is so precise. It's so fine-tuned that there's no way that anybody could buy into the idea that this happened by chance. None of this is an, none of this is an accident. Just nature being nature. It's not. There's no way it could ever be just that. And for those of you who are still going, I, I don't know, I've still got some questions. Let, let me drill down onto our most compelling piece of evidence yet. And so we've already talked about the planets. We've talked about physics. I want to look at people. I want to look at people. Because within each of us, there is information that shapes life. It's called DNA. And the way DNA works is that essentially what it does is it gives instructions for our cells to produce proteins that become the blueprint for life. And this is really interesting because in the 90s, they, scientists were able to complete what is known as the Human Genome Project, right? Human Genome Project, which basically mapped out every human gene and what it does, now, the sitting president at the time, Bill Clinton, said these words in response to the completion of that project. He said, today, we are learning the language in which God created life. That's, that's right, because what DNA is, is God's language. If I was to extract from one of you, one of your hundred trillion cells that make up your body, I was to take one of those cells and to splice it open, within that cell, I would find a coil of DNA. If I was to uncoil that DNA, then what I would find in there is a four, like four letter code, alphabet code that has told that little piece of your cell what it's going to become. This is so interesting. What I've actually looked at is information from God that he used to create you. Think about it. Each and every one of us has a different genetic code. That's how God made seven and a half billion people who are all unique and yet still made in his image and in his likeness. It's fascinating to think that that is the way that God is at work in each and every one of us. And what's really remarkable to me is that this is the language of God. And what I see when I see stats like this and facts like this, I go, wow, science is finally catching up to scripture because we've known this to be true 
for thousands of years. In fact, there was this guy named David who was the king who wrote a whole bunch of Psalms and he actually writes about this. And so if you wanna track along with me, you can actually open your Bible or a Bible app to Psalm 139. And if you'd rather read it from the screens, you can certainly do that. But we're gonna look at Psalm 139 and we're gonna look at just four short, short verses. And this is what it says. It says, for you informed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as, when as yet there was none of them. It's beautiful. Listen. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what's been done to you this week. Here's what I do know about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And nobody can ever change that truth about you. Not even you. And that's a really important truth for us to grab hold of and to walk through our entire life knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And what makes that true of us is that God has made us. Now, I'm not ignorant to the fact of how babies come to be. And I don't think any of us are. If you are, then you can have a conversation with your parents after the service. Just know it's deeply traumatic, okay? Just know that going in. But I'm not ignorant of the fact of how humans come to be, but here's what happens. God takes a part of a mom and a part of a dad and weaves them together with the same precision that he wove the cosmos together. And he makes images in his image and his likeness called you and me. How beautiful is that? That's who we are apart from everything that we've done or ever could do. That's who we are. We are children of God made in his image and in his likeness, which begs the question of us. If everything that is made has a cause, like if everything that has a beginning point has a cause, and that's true of the universe, that means that it must also be true of us. It must be true of me and it must be true of you, that you must have a cause for why you were created, why you came into being. So what is it? I think, I think God actually lets us in on this in Genesis chapter one, at the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse 26 says this. He says, let us make man in our image. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Now, when God says our there, you might go, what does it mean our image? Is there more than one God? No, we have one God who's made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. And from before the beginning of time, from before the, when the world was made, before the cosmos began, God was in perfect relational harmony. He was in community with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know what I think he created us for? so that we could experience that same depth of love and grace that you can only experience in community where you are fully known and fully loved. 
That's why I love that at the beginning of the Bible, God says that he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. The idea being that he wanted to do life with them, just like he wants to do life with you. He wants to walk alongside you wherever you're going and whatever it is that you're involved with. Now, listen, you, you matter to God. You do. In fact, you are the most convincing evidence that I can give you for there being a creator. Every morning when you look in the mirror, my hope is that you're reminded of the truth that there is a creator who made you with a cause. And that cause, that cause is to bring him glory in everything you say and everything you do and to live into the specific plans and calling that he has for your life. And that might look different for you than it looks for me or for anyone else sitting in this room. But here's what I know. I know that all of us have a specific purpose in which we were created. Even scientists who maybe would have the inclination to push back on all of this stuff and say, hey, this is just a big bunch of cokey milk, okay? <laughs> Listen, there's a specific scientist that I wanna introduce you to this morning. His name is James Tour. He, he is a professor at Rice University where he, he does chemistry, but he also um, specifies in the area of nanoscience. So he's like, like very much a specialist in this area. And he's a very um, incredible man. And he's got a fascinating story that I thought maybe it would be best to hear from him. So check out this video and James's story. The intensity begins at 3.30 a.m. each morning as James spends two hours reading his Bible and praying before heading out to the gym for his 90-minute workout. It's a regiment that has been his life for more than 30 years. But it wasn't always this way. Growing up in a secular Jewish home, James never gave God a second thought. It wasn't until his college years that a conversation with a young man about the Bible changed the course of his life. So then he showed me a verse where Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust for her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And I was deeply convicted by that. I was addicted to pornography. I was only 18 years old at the time. And then he showed me other verses where Jesus died for my sins. I didn't even know that there was a claim on the table that Jesus died for me. That was not something that we discussed. And then he talked about how I can get to God through this man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for me. A few months later, after studying the Bible, James made an important decision. On November 7th, 1977, I was all alone in my room. And I got down on my knees and I asked the Lord to forgive me and to come into my life. And all of a sudden, this burden that I had been carrying since the young man shared with me about my sin just started to lift. And I felt the presence of God so strongly filling the room. His presence was so vivid and I was being drawn and I didn't want to get up and I just started weeping. The experience left him deeply changed. That was the moment that changed everything for James. He came to understand that he is a creation of the creator, the same God who made the planets, who aligned the laws of physics, had made him. 
in his own image and in his likeness. My hope and my prayer is that you'll leave here today with a very clear belief, in fact, an unshakable belief in the truth that there is a creator, that none of this is an accident, especially you. I, um, I had a, a rough patch, a rough season of my life when I was in my early 20s. Um, I, my parents were going through a divorce. Um, that was something I never thought would happen. Um, and so a lot of question marks were kind of racing through my mind. Um, and in a conversation with my parents, as they were trying to explain the situation to me, it, it came out that, um, that they wondered if the timing of my birth had been different, if things in their story would have been different. As in, had they not had me when they had me, because they didn't mean to have me when they had me, would things have ended up differently for them. And they didn't mean it in a way that was condescending or hurtful to me, but, but that conversation sent me spiraling because I began asking myself, am I an accident? Like it, it, if my parents didn't mean to have me, am I even supposed to be here? Why am I even here? And maybe just maybe somebody here has wrestled with that thought as well. And I understand it because people come from very different circumstances. I totally understand that. In fact, I'm, I'm part of a foster family and um, some kids who I've fostered last summer, um, I, I recently um, had the opportunity to be kind of step back into their story a little bit and heard a little bit more of, of their background. And these three boys who came into my house for a short stint, um, they changed the way I think about a whole lot of things. Um, th these boys, um, none of them had fathers who were involved in their lives. And in court two weeks ago, their, their mother was legally removed from their lives, which means that all three of them are now legal orphans. Um, and and the, the middle child of the three boys, he has never known and never will know who his father is. See, his mother, um, due to a really up, rough upbringing herself, was, found herself in a position where she felt like prostitution was the only opportunity for her to earn any income. And so she had a child from one of the men who was a part of that season of her life. And now that child will never know who his dad is and will never really have a relationship with his mom from this point moving forward. And when I heard that news, it, it brought up, it almost dredged up from kind of the depths of my soul, a lot of those same identity questions that I had wrestled with in my early 20s, where I asked the question, am I even supposed to be here? If my parents weren't even planning on me being here, if that wasn't part of their plan, then am I supposed to be here? And I had to come back and answer the question on behalf of this young man, this foster child, the same way I answered the question to myself all those years ago. And that it doesn't matter what my parents' plans were because my heavenly parent had a different plan for my life. That if I was created, I had a cause. That if I was created, I had a purpose that God had a plan for my life. And if God has a plan for my life, that means that he has a plan for this child's life. And is it the plan that I would have picked for him? No, not in the least. Is it a plan that's gonna be easy? 
No. But does it mean that God doesn't have a plan for him? No, God absolutely has a plan for that young man's life. And I can't wait to see how it unfolds because if God can work in my life and lead me to the point where I am today, and not that everything's perfect, but if God can work in my life, he can work in anyone's life. Listen, listen. I don't know where you've been. I don't. I don't know what kind of questions you've asked of yourself. I don't know where you're at today, but here's what I do know. God has a plan for your life. He always has, and he always will. It might not feel like it in a certain season. It might feel like you're all lost and you're all alone. You're not. You never have been and you never will be because the God who made you is with you. He's for you and he always will be. My prayer for you this morning is that you would recognize the truth, that you have a creator who cares so much for you that he, was willing, that he was willing to send his son to die on a cross for you. If you've ever wondered if the creator really cares, just look to the cross. Because the cross is the ultimate sign that the God who created you loves you. He loves you enough to send Jesus to be crucified for your sins and mine so that you and I don't have to be defined, don't have to be held back by the plans of the people around us. He died on a cross and rose from the dead so that we can raise, be raised to new life, so that we can walk in the truth that he is God, he is Lord, and he is with us and for us. And we can begin walking in that truth right here, right now, today. You were created by the creator of the universe. The God who created the cosmos realized that his creation wasn't done because you weren't here yet. And before you were ever born, he made a way for you to be back into right relationship with him through the cross of Christ.
this together, I give my whole life. And I give my whole life to honor this love by the Lamb who was slain. I'm forgiven the sinless Savior, crown him forever for the